0: Support for this podcast comes from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary and their Doctor of Ministry program. The Risking Faithfully Disruption is Revelation and Resurrection Doctor of Ministry cohort at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary is more than a degree program. Together, this cohort will form Fugitive Space, welcoming radical reimagination of church and world. Offered in partnership with the Ministry Collaborative, this cohort begins in February 2021. Financial aid and scholarships are available for those who qualify visit www.pts.edu slash D-M-I-N. Welcome to AIJCast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. On this episode, part one of our conversation with Katie Steinberg. Katie is a pastor, is the founder of Missing Peace, a new worshiping community, and author of the new book, Pink-Haired Mermaid, Baby Jesus. Katie spoke with us from her home in Florida. Katie Steinberg, welcome to Cast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's fun to be here with you.
0: I want to start by talking about something that you and I have in common. We're both in that tribe of folks who are Presbyterian pastors in the Presbyterian Church USA, and both of us have migrated, evolved, shifted, I don't know what the right word is, from what people tend to think about in terms of being a Presbyterian pastor in a congregational context to something that's a little bit different. For you, it's what led to the organization of Missing Peace. And so I do want to talk about Missing Peace, but first I'd love you to share with us about that journey from that kind of congregational pastor to founding Missing Peace.
1: Are you really asking, like, how did you become so cool after being part of the Frozen Chosen? Yeah. Is that- that's exactly. Okay, yeah, How yeah, did no, you I become can... <laughs> cool like me? Um, yeah, so I am the daughter of a Presbyterian pastor. So I am Presbyterian from the cradle, if not before. And... Uh, You know, always found myself in the Presbyterian church on Sundays and other days and youth groups and these kind of things, but never saw myself as a Presbyterian pastor or any kind of pastor. In fact, I had these visions as a kid. I had been on a number of mission trips, not the kind where you go and try to convert everybody, but the kind where you like go and build an orphanage. Yeah. I was so moved. I was so transformed by that experience and the immersion in another culture. Where was it? I've been on a few, um, starting when I was 13. So my first was Nicaragua and Guatemala, and then I went to Peru, different parts of Peru about three times, I think, and then Mexico. Um, But it just was really transformational for me and just opened my eyes wide open to um, all that I had and perhaps Mm. didn't need. So my big plan was I was going to become a very successful international businesswoman, make lots of money, and give it all away. I never would have thought of that as ministry, but that would have been my version. College, I did the business thing and got a good job and found myself, by the time I was 23, second in charge of international sales for the largest sunglass company in the U.S., and it was totally empty for me. Mm. You know, I strived and strived, and I got to this space, and there was just nothing there. Um, So, had one of those sort of identity crisis kind of moments and kind of, well, figuratively got on my knees and said, all right, God, (laughs) I tried my way, what's your plan? Hmm. And had this sense of go to seminary, which I thought was ridiculous because I, to that point and ever since, I've never envisioned myself as what people think of as a Presbyterian pastor. Hmm. Um, With my primary example being my father, right? So, you know, robes and choirs and organs and high-steepled churches with stained glass and all of these things, I mean, which are lovely, but never saw myself doing that kind of thing. So couldn't figure out why I would go to seminary Hmm. if I wasn't going to do all those things. Nonetheless, I started, um, went for about nine months, dropped out, (laughs) explored the world a little bit. And then ended up coming back to seminary around the same time that the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement was starting in the Presbyterian Church USA.
0: And this is, for those who are not in our tribe, this is a movement within the Presbyterian Church USA denomination of finding new ways to create community that may look just like the kind of communities that we see and may look completely different, that there's a lot of creativity and freedom and leeway in that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and for the first time, I could envision a kind of worshiping community that I could potentially lead, because it was so different from my conceptions, my preconceived mm. notions of what church was supposed to be, and um, made space to come up with these all these ideas about what church could be. And so I had a group of mom friends that we used to always walk together. We had our little babies in strollers, and we'd go walk around and, you know, solve the world's problems and um, just connect with each other. And so I had this great group of women to kind of bounce these what I thought were very strange ideas about what church could be Hmm. off of. And through that, what if church, you know, some of us, many of us, experienced the spiritual in physical activities? What right. if church could be like that? Right. You know, many of us experience God through deep cerebral, connective, intellectual conversations. Sure. What if church could be like that? Many of us experience God through serving others. Mm-hmm. Well, what if church could be like that? And um, many of us, you know, getting quiet and contemplative and spiritual practices. And uh, what if church could be like that? And you know, in talking to some friends and things, more seminary colleagues and this, and one of my friends, a guy named Alan Rasco, who's amazing, yeah. said, Katie, you know that's in the Bible. And I was like, What? No, it's not. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah. It says, um, love God with your heart, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbors you love yourself. And I mean, it just totally blew my mind because nice. I was like, Oh my gosh, this thing I'm feeling called to, that's this sort of sweeping, all encompassing looks nothing like what you think churches thing is in thousands years old scripture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so then that was sort of the birthplace, the ripe sort of cradle, fertile crescent for a missing piece to be born.
0: It's interesting, because you and I know each other a little bit. Um, one of the things that I was not aware that we share in common was that international context of mission in a very different, I would appreciate you spelling out what it's not and what it is, for. and I think we both experienced that. And for me, it was in the Dominican Republic and it was in the West Bank in a Palestinian city. And it shaped me and also led me to seminary where I didn't think I was supposed to be either. But I, I flashing back to that, and I would love to hear your take on this. One of the things that I remember very vividly from those international mission experiences was it was, we were part of a well-heeled congregation, kids with means in the youth group, and we would go to these places and then we would be asked to write reflections for the congregation about what we experienced And nine out of 10 of those reflections was we should recognize how fortunate we are as Americans to have so much. And that to me was always missing the point. And I don't know that I would, I no, I definitely wouldn't have put my finger on the notion that there's some injustice in the difference between what these folk that I've just befriended have and what I have. But I would never, I, for whatever reason, I got to give credit to my parents, I think, for whatever reason i never saw that as kind of a, a bestowal of blessings kind of a a soft prosperity gospel for lack of a better word yeah. i don't i don't know if that resonates with you at all either then or now or
1: yeah yeah it's funny that you bring that up cuz it reminds me of uh i was listening to some story uh, that was talking about college entrance essays mm. And that like 90 something percent of college entrance essays, and this was at some big fancy school, were about I went on this international trip. (laughs) And I thought I was there to help them, but it was me that was changed. You know, so that's wow. what that. Yeah, yeah, like there's this huge number, and you know, part of that's my story. So oh, I was right, like, "Oh, right." That's what guts. we're just
0: talking about, right? Welcome to yeah, the caricature yeah. episode of Aij Cast.
1: Yeah. Oh man, it totally called me out. But I do, I do think that there's a sense of that for myself, and my own experience. There was another layer to it because it separated for me that my happiness did not lie in things Mm. and in my own um, privilege and prosperity Mm. because the people I met, especially like 13-year-old version of Katie, Mm -hmm. who is a little like brooding and like punk rock, you know, (laughs) I was experiencing people that seemed to have profound joy and happiness in their lives. And they had, nothing that I had. They didn't have the education. They didn't have access to clean water in many cases. They didn't have, you know, Doc Martens and Jinkos, You know, and for me, that was like there was some deep and still unknown, possibly still unfolding to this day, piece of me that stirred in that time and was started to realize that, wow, the world is a lot bigger than me. Hmm. And that my joy is not going to come from my success, productivity, clout, power, et cetera. Hmm. It is a version of what you're describing, but it planted this other deeper seed for me, I think, that's, I think, still blooming.
0: Well, Middlebury College, I hope you'll accept our admissions essays and we'll look forward (laughs) to hearing from you soon. (laughs) All of this leading to in some ways, all of this leading to the creating of Missing Peace. So tell us about Missing Peace.
1: So Missing Peace is a nomadic community that meets in different places depending on what's the activity that we are doing in response to the gospel. So we might be doing art together as a spiritual practice. So in that case, we might rent a city building or Hmm. meet in a park. Or there's a labyrinth here locally. So if we wanted to use that as a spiritual practice, we might meet out there on the beach doing a beach cleanup or at a homeless shelter um, if it's a serving week. Or we might meet in a field somewhere for a physical activity, yoga, kickball, something like this. And so what we'll do is each week we'll meet in a different location with a different one of those emphases. So we'd look at one of those different pieces and what we will do is basically not that different from what you might see in a traditional church. There's a welcome and announcements. There's a prayer moment. For us, we do a candlelight because the candlelight vigil is a sacred symbol and a sacred practice mm. that can help bring people into that space, despite where they come from and where their religious or theological understandings are. And mm. one of the things we strive to be is very accessible, regardless of. Um, whether people are church hurt, or whether they um, have no church background, or whether wh- wherever they come from. Hmm. Then we do um, a breath prayer. In a traditional church, it might be like the prayer of sort of invocation. So we breathe deeply together and have some practice around that. And then I'll give a sermon. Now, my version of a sermon is not what they taught me in seminary. (laughs) It's not 20 minutes long. It doesn't have three points in a poem. It doesn't have, you know. Generally, I preach for five to seven minutes at the most and let the activity sort of emphasize Mm. the word for people. I try to craft a little bit just to sort of build the frame, but part of my opinion is that The church was always intended to be a framework that helped Mm. us to focus in on God, but as our frameworks have become more and more complicated and structured, they start to bleed into the window that we were supposed to be looking through, and Mm. then all of a sudden they're obstructing God altogether. Mm. And so we really strive to let God speak for God's self Mm. in that context. And some of them hit and some of them miss, honestly. Um,
0: Yeah. A friend of mine says that the purpose of the church is to carve out spaces into which we invite the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I, I think that describes traditional church at its best and experimental church at its best, that it really is about that kind of carving out that space, not so that we can tell the Holy Spirit what to do, but so that the Holy Spirit can move and shape and frame us katie steinberg on aijcast we'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment but first a quick word as always i want to point you to the aijcast website aijcast.com which is our clearinghouse for information about and links to our artists including their news events and products i especially encourage you to check out the shop section of our website which is where you will find a link to purchase katie's book pink haired mermaid baby jesus We'll be speaking about her book in the second half of this episode. And you'll find links to many of our artists and their art for sale. Just go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on the link that says Shop. And now, back to more of our conversation with Katie Steinberg. Part of what you're talking about is a community that gathers together in person.
1: Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Although
0: you have had an active social media presence, really, from day one. Mm -hmm. Now we're in the midst of a pandemic, and what does that look like for Missing Peace in the midst of all this?
1: Yeah, so for us, um, we've had an online presence. We've been live streaming our at least the sermon, right. if not more, sometimes since almost since the very beginning. So we Basically, continued that practice where I would just be by myself live streaming from, for example, one of the most prevalent and popular that we're still doing is I'll go to the beach at sunrise, Ormond Beach here. We're right at the beach. So, and um, live stream from that space. And that's been sort of the meat, the majority Mm -hmm. of what we've been doing. Yeah, just live streaming and giving access to those, you know, brief sort of five minute devotional hey, stop, take a minute, take a breath recenter and several times we sort of surveyed the group of missing piece and kind of said are we ready do we want to try to do something do you want to try to do an outdoor socially distanced? if anybody's prepared to do an outdoor socially distanced you know kind of experience we certainly um, would seem to be prepped to that but what our folks are saying is we're okay and the anxiety around deciding if I can hug somebody mm. Or who's going to show up and if everybody kind of has the same comfort levels or different comfort levels and we want to respect each other's comfort level with being in person. So how do we do that? Well, you know, it's not worth it. Let's just keep doing what we're doing for now until it really feels safe to be together in the way that we want to be together as a community. And I sort of had a visual. um, I once a month do spiritual direction and I sort of had a visual come up in one of my spiritual direction moments of like this fire that is missing peace, this roaring, burning, beautiful fire. And mm. it kind of has sort of calmed down into these really nice, beautiful, warm embers. And just sort of this sense that now is not the moment to run around grabbing kindling and firewood and the makings of s'mores. Yeah. It is also not the time to go grab a bucket of water and douse the whole thing. So just let it be what it is. Mm. Embers are nice and warm and warm and comforting
0: it's actually the best thing to cook on
1: it really is so we've just sort of said okay we'll just let it be this for Mm -hmm. now and fortunately you know we're able to do that and the only other piece I want to mention that we um, have done alongside that is some deliveries and mailed Kind of pieces. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, for um, Christmas Eve, we got a little grant and were able to mail everybody an advent wreath. And then we did weekly advent candle lightings. And on Christmas Eve, we emailed out little pieces of the nativity story and everybody filmed a different piece of it. And then we knitted it all together. And it was some people said it's the best nativity Christmas Eve we've ever done, which I'm like, wait a second.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm trying not to let my pride get tied up in that. But we've done that. We've done um, letter-writing campaigns to assisted living facilities. We've done art that we had delivered to the Pace Center for Girls here locally. And so we've tried to find some ways to distance but know that we're doing things together as a community, even if we can't do them side by side.
0: So the book, yeah, Pink-Haired Mermaid Baby Jesus... Mm-hmm is about the discovery the founding the ethos of missing Peace. so why don't you tell us about the book let's start with the title
1: yeah, pink-haired, uh, well, which is lovely, a lovely transition right here from talking about um, Advent, yeah. Christmas, and nativity, because it's a reference to um, our nativity play. So typically, Missing Peace will meet at Ormond Brewing Company on Christmas Eve about 4 p.m. We'll have a potluck, and um, we'll do you know some music, and we'll do an impromptu nativity play. So I bring a big bin of costumes, and then the kids just go through them like mad people and throw on whatever they want and then we have a lovely narrator very handsome it's my husband (laughs) who (laughs) reads the story and then the kids attempt to act out what they hear which always ends up being um, just a beautiful beautiful mess anyway one year we forgot the baby doll to be jesus so we put the call out on social media and said hey can somebody bring us a doll that's coming up to the brewery and what showed up was this pink-haired mermaid doll so we swaddled her up and put her in the starring role and, you know, it's just we're are reminded that God shows up in really unique ways
0: mm. and mm. that
1: there's miracles in the messes and Jesus is always different than you expect.
0: Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm curious about the choice to write a book. What led to that?
1: Well, some of it, I think, is, you know, Missing piece even from its formation and even still, was always dreamed of as an experiment, you know, as something we would play with and tweak and learn from and try things and knowing that some of them would be a mess, (laughs) not really work. And so um, some of it is we've sort of had this laboratory experience and we want to share our findings. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was part of was really part of the motivation was, um, how did we do this thing? What did it look like? And there was some asking from some other pastoral folks that, you know, I have met along the way through the PCUSA and um, various other places that would say, you know, I could probably do something sometime like what you do, but I don't know how, Hmm. you know, I I, I don't know how to put the trappings around it. It sounds like a cool idea, but how do you actually do it? And so between those two kind of motivations, we said, all right, let's put some pen to paper and kind of see what happens.
0: And that raises an interesting question for me, which is there is a potential trap that people fall into, which is, oh, what we need to do is we need to take what Katie's doing and then do it in Boulder, Colorado, or we need to do it in San Diego, or we need to do it in Atlanta. And what we really need to do is make sure that we have a pink haired mermaid baby Jesus for our nativity. (laughs) It's a very, it's very tempting for us to do that. This is working there. So it must work here. And I'm curious in people asking, how do you go about doing that? If you're mindful of that as you're writing and as you're sharing kind of. Maybe encouraging people to rethink how they might want to be framing this?
1: Yeah, I, well, I hope so. I hope that the book does that. There are places where I say, as I tell the story, hey, w- this idea came from our people. Like, this is where Clint Bagwell finds God when he does archery. And so he's going to share with us how and why and where that connects. And then I'm going to tie it together with you know, some sermonating gospel and gospel in Jesus, because Jesus was always using the natural world right. around him right. to help people understand who God is and what the nature of the kingdom is. So, and what what is this good news we're talking about? So I try to, to express that this is highly contextual and that the goal is the contextual, not to replicate right. the practice. And I did include in there a section that's kind of like the how-to-ish mm-hmm. that is not about step one, get your pink haired mermaid, but is more about where do you experience God? Where are people mm. experiencing God? Where are people finding that sense of the holy, whether it's in a church building or not? Mm. And so, so start there. Mm. You know, I think sometimes as pastor folk, I think speaking of traps, we kind of get in this trap where we're afraid that if we point to God out in the world that we're going to sort of point our way out of a job. (laughs) Like if we don't own or have some special like revelation to share about who God is or some, we bring God into the room in our little baskets. We've
0: got our merch. We've got our God merch. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah,
1: that we're going to talk ourselves out of the job kind of thing. But I don't know, man, the Holy Spirit's a lot wilder than that, I believe. And um, I don't think it's my job to own God or people's experience of God, but instead to say, Wow, where, where, how, what's it like? Wonder, you know, um, awe, experience, joy, these sort of broad things that get even hard to talk about because experiencing the Spirit is such an intangible, unnameable kind mm-hmm. of thing. When Moses says, What's your name? God says, I am, I am. you know, like, ah. Um, so, which is a little tricky to talk about. I think yeah. Moses felt the same way. Yeah. yeah, it can get a little tricky, but if we can tune our ears a bit and our hearts a bit, I think. This is what I'm leaning into right mm. now. I think God shows up and it becomes less and less about the special thing we bring, but, and more and more about journeying together, which sounds a lot like how they describe church in the New Testament I'm familiar with.
0: Katie Steinberg on Cast. You can connect with her online through her website, katiesteinberg.com. That's K-A-T-Y-S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G.com. On our next episode, part two of our conversation with Katie Steinberg. AIJCast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. We can only do this work because of that support. So please do take just a moment, you, yes, you, go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on the link that says support. And we love to interact with you on social media. We are there on a multitude of platforms where our handle is... That's right, you guessed it, AIJCast. Our theme music comes from our house band, Marge Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by that quintessential karaoke host, Al Mudif, who lives his whole life through the lens of the Wizard of Oz, including his church experience.
1: Robes and choirs and organs.
0: And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to go, Brother stay put... Create some beauty of your own, and remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, justice and peace!